Kavanaugh Church, how are we doing today? So glad that you guys are here. If you're joining us today as a guest, thank you for being here. And we're really glad that you came. And we ask a favor, if you're a guest today, if you look in the pew back in front of you, you'll see one of these Connect cards. We simply need you to fill that out. And after service, if you go straight through the center door, make an immediate left. We have a Connect counter there with some greeters who just want to meet you. And they want to give you a gift from our church. So we would really appreciate you stopping by and picking that up. I want to share two verses from Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Guess what? We're here today to praise the Lord. All right? All right, we can praise the Lord. Amen. So that's what we want to invite you to do with us today. Just praise the Lord. Just express your love to him and how can we do that well you can sing to him because we're going to sing some great songs we just sang one and we've got some more so sing and and think about those words and what they mean and as brother will preaches the gospel all right you can you can be in tune to the lord and just be obedient to him and you can trust god with your very life that's an amazing thing isn't it amen so are y'all ready to praise the lord yes. me too all right Amen. Let's stand up, and we're going to pray, and then you guys can welcome one another, and we'll continue singing. Father, we love you. Thank you for your spirit that is here. Thank you for your love for us and for Jesus and for the gift of salvation. Thank you for the privilege to be here today, Lord, just to, to freely worship you in your house. Help us, Lord, as we sing. Let it be an act of worship from our hearts. Lord, 
Help us to use every breath we have to praise you. And as Brother Will comes and he preaches your word, anoint him with your Holy Spirit. And God, would you speak into each of our hearts in this room and help us, Lord, to respond to you and to be obedient to you and to trust you and to obey you, Lord. We love you and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you welcome one another this morning? There are a lot of different ways that we can offer up praise to the Lord, and our musicians offer up their praise every Sunday when they pray, play their instruments that, um, and use the God-given talent that they have. This morning, we're featuring our percussionists this morning as they offer up their praise to the Lord. So, Kavanaugh Church, are you ready to praise the Lord? No, I mean, like, are you ready to praise the Lord? Okay.
Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and the lyre. Praise Him with timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with the stringed instruments and the flutes. Praise Him with the clash of the cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise, praise the Lord.
for your interest in our life and your provision in our life. God, that you would even think of us, the creator of the universe, maker of heaven and earth. God, you walked on water. You move mountains in our lives. You manage the things that we don't even think to pray about. God, thank you so much for your love for us. We just praise you this morning for who you are and for what you can do. And God, we invite your Holy Spirit to move through this service, Lord, and to speak to each one of us. God, I just pray as Brother Will brings the message that we would open our hearts and we would listen, that we would listen for your voice. Thank you so much for your son. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Satan's manifested schemes When you feel the urge within you To submit to earthly fear Don't let the faith you're standing in Seem to disappear Praise the Lord He will work through those who praise Him Changes seem to bind you, serve only to remind you that they drop powerless behind you when you praise Him. Now Satan is a liar, and he wants to make us think that we are paupers. When he knows himself, we're children of the King. So lift up the mighty shield of faith, for the battle must be won. You know that Jesus Christ is risen, and his work's already done. Praise the Lord.
Virgil, God bless you. Welcome to Kavanaugh. You glad you're here? I am delighted that you're here. Welcome. Uh, this is a great place, and I know, I just know that if you'll open up your heart, God will speak to you today. You're not here by chance. God brought you here, uh, maybe to hear Psalm 31. That's where we're going to be preaching this morning. In this summertime months, I've been preaching a how-to series, and today I'm coming to the subject how to solve problems or how to deal with problems you can't solve and fears you can't shake. Now, here's one thing I know. All of us in this room deal with the same thing, and sometimes that thing is overwhelming. It's called stress. <laughs> Recent statistics tell us that 75% of Americans deal with major stress in their life. In fact, there are three factors that cause stress more than any other factors. They are number one, money, all right, or the lack thereof. Number two, your job. And number three, dealing with family matters. And if you're an adult in this room today, you know that you just live with stress. Come on. You, you deal with stress, don't you? But it's permeated our entire culture, and our kids are dealing with stress. Those in college are dealing with stress. I recently read that Harvard University has begun new programs for helping graduate students suffering from stress. These programs were started because a 27-year-old fifth-year graduate student in chemistry became the third Harvard graduate student who committed suicide in a three-month period. In Norway, the prime minister of the country took a three-and-a-half-week sick leave, and he bluntly told his nation that his sickness was a depression triggered by the stress of running the country and by his inability to find any private space 
in his life. Welcome to the big league. <laughs> you know, I mean, what can I say? I, I think people have always dealt with stress. Uh, maybe, maybe older generations and different times they dealt with it differently, and I really think they had a tougher hide than we do today. But we all have stress in our life. Most people today that I know of are living under undue pressure. And so the real question becomes this. Where do you turn when you are so stressed out that you can imagine yourself becoming either sick or suicidal because of your stress? Well, I'll tell you where we need to turn. The biblical answer is you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. You turn to God. We follow his example. What did Jesus do when Jesus was stressed? You say, that, that's crazy. Jesus was never stressed. Oh, really? <laughs> Read the Bible. He was stressed. Where did Jesus turn during his greatest moments of anguish and affliction and stress? Let, let me tell you something. The stress of the world was placed on his shoulders. When Jesus hung on Calvary's cross, he suffered affliction and anguish and stress. So what did Jesus do? Luke's gospel tells us. Let's read from Luke chapter 23. Again, Jesus is hanging on the cross, and the Bible says, It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. Now, that's a sermon in and of itself. Jesus hanging on the cross, dying for the sins of the world. The sun stopped shining. But a new dawn was coming, all right? It also says the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Here we go. Jesus called out with a loud voice, and here's what he prayed. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last breath. So in his last stress-filled, anguished, painful moments of life, Jesus is crying out to the Father, saying, Father, into your hands I am committing my spirit. Really what Jesus was doing is quoting a scripture from the Old Testament that he had previously memorized. When he said, into your hands I commit my spirit, he was taking an Old Testament prayer of David and making it his own. That passage came to our Lord's mind at a very profound time in his life in ministry when he was stressed out. And that passage is found in Psalm 31, our key passage for today. There are 24 verses in Psalm 31. I'm just going to read the first five, and here's what it says. David prayed, In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set before me. For you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. And so for our purpose this morning, we can say that the whole of Psalm 31, all 24 verses 
are summarized and summed up in verse 4 and verse 5. For here in verse 4 and 5, the psalmist deals with three themes that really pervade the entire psalm. And the first is the idea of a trap, all right? A trap. Verse 4, he cries, free me from the trap that has been set for me. So David is feeling like he's been trapped. He's been snared. Now, we really don't know why David wrote this psalm, but a lot of Bible theologians, smart Bible people, think that it comes from a story found in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 23. Keilah was a city in the Judean plain. And even though they were a walled city with towers and gates, the Philistines had come against them and were killing them and stealing all of their stuff. And so David fleeing from King Saul with his 600 men, got a word from God. And God told David to take his men to Keilah and deliver the city of Keilah. David's men didn't want to go. They, they didn't want to face the Philistines. And so David went back to God a second time. Do y'all like the way I count? <laughs> a second time. And he asked God, are you sure, God, that you want us to go to Keilah and deliver them? And the Lord said, yes. I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. So sure enough, David took his 600 men and they annihilated the Philistines. They delivered the city and they even moved inside the walled city of Keilah. But the men of Keilah were deceptive. They had a pact with King Saul and they sent word to Saul saying, David and his men are inside of our city. We have shut the gate. You can come and take him. They, they weren't very grateful, were they, <laughs> for David's deliverance. And at that moment, David knew he was trapped. The trap had been set. The snare had been made. And David knew he and his men were going to be captured. He prayed to God, and the long story short is God delivered them. I, I don't know about you, but I hear this kind of language all the time, this same terminology People talk to me about feeling trapped in a bad marriage. Well, Pastor, I just feel trapped in this marriage. Maybe you're here today and you feel like you're trapped in a bad marriage. If you are, I don't want to see your hand. Right? Not, don't, don't raise your hand right now. Come and talk to either Jason or I privately about that. Don't, don't say, oh, you're talking. No, that's not good. Uh, some people feel like they're, they're trapped by circumstances. I hear people talking about being trapped in a job that they don't like or caught in the trap of financial stress. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You, you feel sometimes like you're trapped. Well, Ecclesiastes 9.12 says, As birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times when it falls unexpectedly on them. Now, that verse is very enlightening to me because most of the time we are trapped in snares that we have made for ourselves. You know what I'm saying? But this verse tells us sometimes we get trapped just by evil times. Bad things happen to good people. And sometimes we are trapped by these bad circumstances. At case in point, Houston, Texas. I got a lot of friends down in Houston. I know many of them who have been trapped by something bad that's happened to them. 
I can also tell you this. The devil himself, Satan, is setting traps for us all over the place. 2 Timothy 2.26 warns us to beware of the traps of the devil. And let me tell you, he's good at setting traps. In fact, he's already set traps for you this next week. Did you know that? He's, he's already set some snares for you because he wants to trip you up. He wants you to fall into temptation. He wants you to sin. So he's already set that pretty little lady at the water fountain at work to give you that wink. Don't look at me like I don't know what I'm talking about because you know what I'm talking about. Or for you teenagers, that, that trap has been set for you to cheat on Miss Camilla's exam this next week. Don't do that. Okay? Don't fall into that trap. Or for you to take something from the office that doesn't belong to you. The devil is setting those traps for you. He does it for all of us. The psalmist here, the Israeli king David, had fallen into a trap of some sort. And he was in a terrible state of mind. In fact, you just listen to the words that David uses to describe his condition. In verse 7, he talks about affliction and anguish. Those are hard words. He felt afflicted. His soul was in anguish. Verse 9, he talks about distress and sorrow. Verse 10, he talks about groaning and weakness. And then in verse 12, he said, My life is like a broken piece of pottery. So I've got to wonder, if anyone in this room today feels like they're trapped by life, maybe you feel like your life is a broken piece of pottery, or at least it has a big crack in it. Maybe you feel afflicted or in anguish or in distress. Well, if that's the way you feel, I've got another word for you because I don't want to leave you in your trap. <laughs> you don't want to stay in the trap. The next word this psalm uses is the word truth. And if I know anything, I know that the only way we can get out of a trap is through the truth. Do you understand that? In fact, Jesus said, it is the truth that sets men free. And what is the truth? It's found in verse 4. David continues by saying, For you, God, are my refuge. In fact, that is the theme of this passage. In those first five verses that I read, he calls God his refuge three different times. And you see this theme through this entire psalm. Look at how it begins in verse number 1. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Verse 2. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Verse number 3, you are my rock and my fortress. Verse 4, you are my refuge. Verse 19, how great is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you. Quick time out. Church, let me remind you, our God is very, very, very good. God is a good God. But what does he do with all of his goodness? 19 goes on to tell us, he stores it up for those who fear him, on those who take refuge in him. Verse 20, in the shelter of your presence, you hide them. In your dwelling, you keep them safe. So church, look at me. Look at, look at me right now. You may be in a trap. The truth is this. 
God can become your refuge. He is your refuge and strength. He is a very present help in times of trouble. How many OU fans we got out there today? Oh, uh, there's not many of you. Let me, let me try that one more time. If you really are an OU fan, I want to hear it right now. It's your only chance to do this all year. Are you? I knew we had a few of you rascals in this building. You're probably feeling pretty good today because OU had a big day yesterday, didn't they? New coach, big victory. I don't know. I, th I, think, uh, I think that new coach has studied under Rick Jones from Greenwood. Maybe he has Rick's uh, playbook. I don't know. But y'all had, had a big day yesterday relishing that. Enjoy it because, I don't know, it may not last. If, if you really are an OU fan, though, a true blue OU fan, I know there's a couple of you out there, true blue, you know that things always haven't been great for OU. Back in the mid-'90s, y'all were just in, in a flat time. Uh, the, the team was losing. It was not a good time to be an OU Sooner. And all the blame, really all the blame in 1995 went to a single person. It was, it was very unfortunate that it happened. But they called in a freshman from Dallas, Texas, a young man by the name of Eric Moore, and they started him as quarterback his freshman year. They should have never done that because he didn't have a good year. He, he attempted 200 passes, only completed 90 of them. He had more interceptions than he did touchdowns. And let me tell you, the, the, the OU Sooner family just blamed everything on this young 18-year-old boy named Eric Moore. And it really was horrible. I, I recently read an article about him that was published in one of the Tulsa papers. It says, one wonders how Eric Moore survived those three years at OU. He was the subject of vicious callers on talk shows. His every misstep was analyzed and ridiculed in newspapers. Television commentators laughed at him. Oklahoma fans harassed him. He was booed in his own stadium. It amazes me why people would want to punish a kid for trying to be a student athlete, said Oklahoma coach John Blake. No one tries harder to please people than Eric does. The article goes on to say, few athletes have ever endured the wrath of 75,000 crazed OU fans like Eric Moore did. Perhaps no athlete in the state's history has been subjected to more abuse. As OU's quarterback during the school's darkest moments in its proud football history, Moore was the bad guy. I mean, I just read that, and I feel sorry for this kid. Like I say, he came from Dallas, Texas. His nickname growing up was the snake. And let me tell you, OU fans thought he was a snake. They thought he was the brother of the devil, right? He received numerous death threats, uh, even from sports radio hosts. They pounded him with insults and sarcasm and criticism. His senior year... The Dallas Morning News interviewed him, and here's what Eric Moore told the Dallas Morning News. I was 18 years old when all of this started, and let me tell you, I felt like quitting. Every single week, I wanted to quit. I thought these fans were supposed to be my friends, but they weren't, and I just didn't know where to go. Wow. But he found his one source of comfort and strength in God. Huh? Here's what he told the Dallas Morning News. I knew about God, and I really felt like I had a relationship with God. But going through this showed me 
I was not really as close to God as I should have been. And so he went to his pastor to ask for help. And the advice his pastor gave him was this, Eric, you need to go home and bury yourself in the Bible and in prayer. And then you need to submit yourself to the authority of your coaches. And that's exactly what Eric did. He ended the interview by saying, if it weren't for the Lord Jesus Christ, I couldn't have made it through this. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Eric figured out what you need to figure out. Life is tough. But the truth is this. God is our refuge and our strength. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. I face my own trouble, haven't you? I've never been booed by 75,000 mad parishioners. <laughs> thank, thank God for that. But I have faced some tough times. Sometimes when I have felt like giving up, I've told you this story in depth. I'm not going to relay the story to you again. But I had a few years in Pine Bluff when I really felt like I was going to quit the ministry and hang it up because it wasn't worth it. And there were a lot of nights that I went into my living room when Angie and Whitney were in bed. And I buried my face between the cushions of our blue couch. And I literally cried out to God and said, God, I can't take this anymore. I can't deal with another day like I've dealt with today. Tomorrow can't be worse than today because I can't live through it. Guess what? The next day was worse. <laughs> but I tell you what, I learned, I learned this truth. And the truth that I learned is, you know what? No matter how bad things are, God is greater. And no matter what tough problem I'm dealing with in life, my God knows about it. He loves me and he cares for me. He is my fortress. He is my refuge, and he is my strength. And that leads us to the third theme in this passage. It's the word trust. Sometimes you feel trapped in life, but the truth is God is your refuge. And the way you access that truth is through trust. Verse 4 and 5, David cried, Free me from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. The key word that I want you to see here is the word commit. It means to entrust. Specifically, to entrust into someone else's hands for safekeeping. To turn over something to someone else for their watchful care. And that's what David was doing. I am committing my soul, my spirit, all that I am into your hands, God. And the wonderful thing about this verse is its versatility. You can end it with a blank, and then you can fill that blank in with whatever you need to put in the blank. You look confused. <laughs> so let me explain. You can pray a prayer like this if you're a parent or a grandparent. Lord, into your hands I commit my children. Okay? Okay? I discovered this when my, my little girl Whitney, we were again living in Pine Bluff. Can I tell you, Pine Bluff's not a good place to raise a family. Uh, anyway, you don't want to hear about that. Remember when Whitney went to kindergarten, uh, first day of kindergarten, we took, we took Whitney to kindergarten and dropped her off, and 
man, neither Angie or I felt good about it. It was a bad situation, bad school. We didn't want her to be there, but we had to send her, and so we sent her. And, and man, we wanted to be there. We couldn't be there. Angie found an occasion just about every day at, at like 1.15 to happen to drive by the school because <laughs> she knew they were out on the playground, and she'd just drive by and look and make sure Whitney was still alive, you know. And I worried about her. Angie worried about her. Until one day in my office at the church there in Pine Bluff, I came across Psalm 31, and I realized that I could pray this prayer. Lord, into your hands I commit my Whitney to you. Because here's what I knew. I couldn't be there with her. I couldn't protect her. I couldn't answer her questions. I, I couldn't be right there with her. But you know what? I believe that my God is sovereign. He's omnipresent. God can be everywhere present at the same time. So while I was in my office, I knew that my God was with my daughter. And I prayed this same prayer with all three of my kids. Let me tell you, when we put Callie on that plane to travel literally around the world in nine months, I prayed this prayer continually for her. When I knew she was in the Philippines and was sick as she could be, throwing up in a hospital in a third world country, I was praying this prayer. <laughs> Lord, I commit to you my daughter, Callie. You are with her where I cannot be. And I found out this, God can love my kids like I can't love them. He can do for them and within them things that I can't do. Isn't that great? Number two, we can also say, Lord, into your hands I commit my talents. Now you probably think I've gone off to the deep end here. That's not what this sermon is about. This sermon is about dealing with stress in your life. Why would I talk about giving God our talents? Well, God has given each of us a special gift or an ability or a talent, something that we're good at, and along with that, he gives us opportunities. But here's what I know. We're I have to stand over here to say this because I'm not supposed to say this word over here. We're stupid. <laughs> you know, we really are. We, we think we have these gifts and abilities because we're somebody, you know? And we try to use them in our own strength. And when we try to use these gifts and talents and abilities for ourselves, our life is filled with stress because God didn't make us that way. Here's the way God made us. He gave us the gifts, the abilities, the talents, and the opportunities, but he wants us to give those things back to him and submit those things to him. And when we don't do that, let me tell you, our life is one big stress ball. I just made that up. That's just a stress ball. I don't know if I'll ever say it again, but you know what I'm talking about. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. So, Lord, I commit to you my talents. Number three, we can say, Into your hands I commit this problem that I cannot solve and this fear that I cannot shake. And I'll tell you, this has been one of the hardest lessons for me to learn. But sometimes I face bad situations which, despite my best efforts, have only gotten worse. Huh? But what a joy and peace comes into our hearts when we learn that we can give those situations to the Lord. We can commit them to Him. We can entrust them to the one who can do the impossible. Lord, I don't have the answer, but you do, so I give it to you. That leads me to number four. We can also say, Lord, into your hands I commit this disappointment. Have you ever faced a disappointment? 
You can raise your hand now. I think we all have. It reminds me of a story of a pastor who uh, went to see a lady who had just received some really bad news. She was gravely disappointed and sorely vexed. But when the preacher visited her the next day, she was as cheerful as ever. What about your problem, the pastor asked. Oh, she said, I've already given that to the Lord. It's not my problem anymore. It's his. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? Isn't that a wonderful practice? When we face a disappointment that we can't do anything about, we just give it to God. Say, Lord, this is yours now. You deal with it. It's pretty awesome. Again, it reminds me of a missionary by the name of Robert Moffat. He, he was called to South Africa as a missionary and was planning to go. His desire, however, was to take the one that he loved the most, a young lady by the name of Mary Smith, as his wife to South Africa. So he proposed to her, went to her parents and asked permission for her to become his uh, wife and go to South Africa with him. Uh, Mary's parents said no. <laughs> two reasons. We don't like you, number one. Number two, our daughter is not going to South Africa. Talk about disappointed. He was disappointed. He knew God called him to South Africa. He believed that Mary was supposed to go with him, but he had to go without her. A grave disappointment in his life. But you know what he did? He gave that disappointment to the Lord. He said, Lord, it's out of my hands. I can't do anything about it. He read 1 Samuel chapter 3 that says, It is the Lord. Let the Lord do what seems to be good to him. So in other words, Robert was committing the disappointment to the Lord, saying, Nevertheless, let not my will be done, but your will be done. He gave the disappointment to God, said, God, you handle it. And God did. Three years later, they were married. And they spent the next 50 years in South Africa. Isn't that cool? Okay, let me tell you the truth. It doesn't always work out like that, though. I mean, shining night, he got his woman. They spent ministry together. It was great, great, great for Robert, great for Mary. But let me tell you, it doesn't always work that way. You know that. You don't always get the chick. Come on, <laughs> loosen up. You don't always score the winning touchdown or even get in the game. You don't always make the big deal. Life is filled with disappointments. You don't get accepted to the school you want to go to. You don't get chosen to be in the play. Life is full of disappointments. You got me? In fact, let me take this same kind of story and, and tell you the reality of it. For me, it was 1978, Lubbock, Texas. I fell in love with a girl. I mean, she was, she was my heart throb. She was, a, she was a pretty little girl. I fell in love with her. She was in love with me. Ron, I gave her a promise ring. You, do you remember promise rings? Anybody in here remember promise rings? Yeah, I don't think kids do that anymore, do they? It was stupid to do that back then. But I gave her a promise ring. You know what the promise ring meant? She was promising her heart to me and mine to her, and we were going to get married. We were in love. 
My first year of college, I stayed in Lubbock and went to Texas Tech University because she was still in high school. <laughs> I wanted to be close to her. Getting gushy, isn't it? Starting to stink, isn't it? Second year, I knew I had to go to Hillsdale, and so I, I left. She went to uh, North Texas State University outside of Canyon, Texas, and, and, you know, we'd ride each other, call each other. Everything was going great until two months into that first semester. I went to my mailbox there at, at Randall. It used to be Hillsdale, and I opened it up, and there was a letter from her, and I thought, great. She's going to tell me she loves me in this letter. Can't wait to see me. And I opened it up. It was a Dear Will letter. Y'all know those Dear John letters. This started Dear Will. I'm sorry to inform you that I'm breaking up with you and I don't love you anymore. Have a good life. I, let me tell you, I was crushed, man. Can you, I was crushed. I had never, ever, ever had a girl to break up with me, except for in the fifth grade when Patty Adams broke up with me. But other than that, I was the heartbreaker. You're supposed to laugh there. So she broke up with me, man. I was devastated. I, I literally, I cried. I called her. I begged with her. I drove to Canyon, Texas to try to talk some sense in her. But she wouldn't hear any of it. Come to find out she had fallen in love with a big cowboy, Texas. <laughs> anyway, that's another story. My life was, Jason, I thought my life was ruined. I had it all planned out. Devastation had occurred. Huge disappointment. But Mason, finally I gave it to the Lord. I said, Lord, I can't, you know, I can't deal with this, can't talk sense to her. I'm just going to give it to you. I'm giving you this disappointment. Little did I know, little did I know, God had somebody else for me. But don't, don't clap yet. Don't clap yet. Someone infinitely better. Someone back in 1963 that he created with the sole purpose of living with me and doing ministry with me. He created the perfect person for me right here. Isn't that great? So, you know, you don't always get the girl you think you need, but sometimes you get the girl that God has for you. That's the way it is with disappointments in life. You just give them to God. Let me tell you, God is working. God is working in magnificent ways, and God can do the impossible. God is always going to give you the good, acceptable, and perfect will for your life. Number five, we can also pray, into thy hands I commit my hurt, my anger, this desire that I have for vengeance. Psalm 37 verse 5 says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Now, I know we've all been hurt by people. You've been hurt, haven't you? All of us have been hurt by someone. And, and maybe there's nothing you can do about that situation. But you've carried anger in your heart long enough. 
And anger, if it's not dealt with, will turn into bitterness. And let me tell you, bitterness will kill you. But all you have to do is bring it to the Lord and say, Lord, into your hands I commit this situation. Into your hands I commit this anger and this bitterness and this desire for revenge. And I'm here to tell you, God can take it away. And he can give you a peace that passes all understanding. Well, let me finish by saying this. We can also pray, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Because that's literally what David prayed here in Psalm 31. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Church, we can trust him. We can trust God as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We can trust him as we pass through the tunnel of light into the glory land of heaven. That's the truth. We can trust God. We can commit everything to God, knowing that God has something good for us. 2 Timothy 1.12 is one of my favorite verses. It says, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. The devotional writer Samuel Gordon knew a woman who had memorized the biggest part of the Bible. She knew hundreds of verses simply through memory. But age took her memory from her. And age took all of the verses that she had learned except this one verse. But she continued to quote this one verse, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. In time, she could only remember one phrase of that verse, what I have committed to him. But she said it all the time, what I have committed to him, what I have committed to him. And then on her deathbed, with her family surrounding her, her kids saw her lips move, and so they leaned over to listen to what she was saying. And she was saying one single word, it's the word him. Him. Talking about him. Him. Dr. Gordon noted that she had lost the whole Bible but one word. (laughs) Yet in that one word, she had the whole Bible. Isn't that awesome? And that's all you need, man. All you need is Jesus. Life is tough. Life is filled with trials and traps. They're all around us. But the truth is this. Jesus is our refuge. And so we trust him. We trust him by saying, Lord, I commit to you my children. I commit to you my talents and my opportunities. Lord, I commit to you the problems and the heartaches that I have in life. I commit to you my disappointments, my hurts, my injuries. Lord, I commit to you my spirit. For I know not why God's wondrous grace To me he hath made known. Nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. So guys, here's what I'm asking you to do today. Let's gather up all your problems, all your stresses, all your fears. Gather them all together, bring them down here to the altar, and give them to God. 
Let him become your refuge. Trust him with the issues you're dealing with in life. And in return, he'll give you a peace that the world doesn't know anything about. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would be with every person in this room. Lord, there, there's somebody in here that's never accepted Jesus as their personal Savior. They, they really don't know what it totally means to be a child of God, a Christian. I pray that they would consider doing that today, that you would speak to their heart and they would come forward and receive Christ as their Savior. Lord, I pray that they be saved. For the rest of us who are here, may we do what David did. Take all of our stress and our anguish, our anxieties, and just give them to you. Understanding the truth that you are our refuge. And all we must do is trust in you. Help healing to take place at the altars today. And I pray that you'd give people freedom to come and pray. I ask it in your name. Amen. Would you stand? Praise team's going to sing. If you'd like to come and pray, altars are open. I just invite you to come right now. Come on. God wants to hear from you. Would you come and pray?
Lord, thank you for being so good to us and gracious to us. Thank you, dear Lord, for uh, seeing our heart and knowing the stress and the problems that we face. Lord, as we give those things back to you today, I pray that you'd give us victory. I pray that we'd leave this building better than when we came. Uh, Lord, for those who are here and they're just uh, seeking answers to life, I pray that, that this service and this encounter with you would take them one step closer to you, Lord. Help them to understand that the uh, truth is you are the answer to life. I pray that you'd be real to all of us, meet the needs that we have, and we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. And uh, as you're sitting down, give God a hand because he is awesome, man. God is good. Good deal. Well, we got uh, kind of two more things to do, just a couple of things. Uh, we're going to take up the offering here in just a second. But before we do that, uh, let me tell you what's coming up. September 17th is a national holiday for Kavanaugh Free Will Baptist Church. It's Roundup Day. All right, let's hear it for Roundup Day. Awesome day. Uh, we've been doing it here at Kavanaugh Church for 20 years because that's how long I've been here. <laughs> I've been doing a Roundup Day uh, my entire ministry for almost 34 years. Uh, it, it, it goes like this, summer's over, school's back in session, and we want to get all of our people back in church. That only makes sense, doesn't it? So we round them up, all right? And so it follows a Western theme. I'm going to be dressed up cowboy. Uh, you can dress up cowboy if you'd like to, but our, our whole deal is we're going to round our people up for church that morning at 9 o'clock and 1030. Then on that Sunday night, we're going to have the biggest barbecue you've ever seen, uh, there's going to be uh, pony rides for the kids, carriage rides, uh, BB guns, slingshots, and we got something new this year. It's called a mechanical bull. <laughs> oh Lord, I can I can see the insurance claims coming in right waiver. now. Yeah, you do you do have to sign a waiver to ride the mechanical bull. But anyway, it's going to be awesome. And to get you pumped up for Roundup Day, I think we got a video. Enjoy this. Tune in next week. <laughs> this, and you're going to see it after the offering. How's that? <laughs> That'll work. All right, good deal. Ushers, y'all get ready right now, and Kevin, uh, all members, y'all give. If you're a guest, we don't ask anything from you. If you are a church member, just give to the Lord, and uh, God will bless you for it. Heavenly Father, would you please take what we give, bless it, use it for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.
to be. Let me tell you, it was an awesome video. Brother Johnny was in it with this painted horse called, what was the horse's name? Bronco. And uh, he was out looking for, for sign for, for, for a trail and he found uh, this trail of these renegades that were out on the loose and he needed everybody to help him round them up. All right, sorry. I can't do it just. It's a great video. We'll show it to you next week, all right? Hey, one more thing, on September the 13th, we're starting a, a new Connect class. If you're interested in joining Kavanaugh, making it your church home, we ask that you go through this class. It's going to meet on three consecutive weeks, beginning on September the 13th. I hope you have a great day. God bless you, and go Greenwood. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs>